Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka. With me today, I'm excited. I have Mark Kramer here, and we're going to be talking about family, business, succession, and legacy. Now, I'm going to tell you, Mark has a lot of things going on. I'm going to roll through them. Uh, but when we had our conversation a while back, I just knew that I had to have Mark on and we need to talk about family business with the work he's doing with family businesses. But Mark is the host of the podcast, the award-winning podcast, Best Business Minds. We're going to talk about that. He's the founder of Kramer Communications, Stress-Free Family Business, the Private Investor Forum. Uh, he is actually working on the Angel Venture Fair. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And Mark, thanks for being here today. Damon, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So first of all, in Best Business Minds, you said your podcast, it's it's in over 62 countries. You won two awards. What were these awards that you won? Well, the awards, and I was thrilled uh, that we won them. Uh, one award is the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts, and these are global awards. And the other is the .com uh, Davy Award. And so we just won those in the last month. And uh, one had 7,000 applicants, and that one they told me had 5,000 applicants. Wow. Wow. Now, tell me a little bit about the Best Business Minds podcast so we can share that with the listeners. Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, I started this in March of the pandemic, and I just wanted to uh, provide an interesting um, educational experience for the entrepreneurs and family businesses I deal with. So I, I've written six books myself, and I had a friend uh, who worked with me at Wharton, and now she's at Harvard. And she wrote a, a book called Edge, and it's about how to overcome adversity. And we were going through an adverse time. And so I said to her, hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast and I'm going to use Zoom and would you want to be on? And she said, yes, when? Tomorrow, I said. She goes, really? I Just tomorrow? I said, yes. And I said, I'll send out a blast email. Let's see who shows up. We were thinking maybe 25 people, but 172 people showed up. Wow. And after the show, uh, everybody said, when's the next one? And that started for the first six months. I was reading two books a week and that became overwhelming, two books a week. So yeah. I kind of back to one book a week and I do a live show every Friday, but we've had authors from all over the world. We have listeners in 62 countries. And like tomorrow, I'm interviewing an author about uh, diversity and inclusion in the business world. And she's uh, calling in from South America. I mean, South, uh, South Africa. And wow. I've had them from China, uh, England, France, all over the world uh, that they've dialed in uh, to allow me to interview them. And it's been super cool. What The one thing I did not know was that podcasts weren't live. 
I assumed I never listened to a podcast before I did my own. So I thought they were live. It took about eight shows in till somebody said, oh my God, this is so cool. It's live. I said, yeah, so what? Doesn't everybody do it? No, you're the only one doing live show. So that oh, became wow. the draw with the authors. They like the live show. And when the people come on to listen to it, I tell them in the beginning, just type in your questions in chat and I'll ask them. So if I'm three questions into my 30 questions, I allow them, I immediately go to their questions. So if there are 15 questions in a row by the audience, I ask all 15 questions. Wow, that's a great format. That's a great format. Being it's worked live out and great for me and I'm booked yeah. May of, till May of next year. Wow. Yeah, you're booked almost a year out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, remind me, because after we get done, there's a couple authors that I that I want to give you their names because they might be someone you want to have. So the uh, what so let's talk about this just a little bit. What I mean, if you're interviewing the best business minds on their books, what are some of the things that you've learned that you go, wow. I just would have never done this unless I was doing the podcast. We'll never learn this. Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, one is these people are a lot smarter than me. I mean, I get these guys from Harvard and Wharton and all over. I've had a few billionaires on my show. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. damn, these people are smart. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that I have found about leadership uh, was that to be a good leader, you had to be a good listener and you had to surround yourself with people smarter than you. And that diversity really does matter because everybody comes from a different viewpoint. So all of these guys had a lot of the same message. And so, and, and the smart people can come from anywhere. I mean, I had a guy from MIT on and he is the AI expert in the country. In fact, the forward of the book was written by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, had oh, a Joint wow. Chiefs of Staff and uh, the uh, Chairman CEO of Google. Uh, he's 31 and that's what he was he, that's who was writing his forward at his book <laughs> not your accountant or whatever yeah right? so, yeah yeah no, just a little thing and yeah. i learned about uh in neurology i had a professor from wharton who told us that you know this idea of working from home is not a good idea that you actually lose about 30 percent of your cognitive skills by not interacting with people on a daily basis so this idea of working from home on a daily basis is not only not good for you, but also not good for building a team culture as mm -hmm. well. And uh, we are very diverse and even our authors, I didn't set out to be that, but we are because we have women, men, all kinds of folks uh, who come on uh, the show and which I think is always interesting. And I think, you know, from, all, all of them are big on uh, that you have to be thought out and planned, that you have to go and have a plan that you're going to go and execute on, and that everybody has to be involved in planning. It can't be just a plan that the leadership uh, develops without including the people all the way up and down the line. So, yeah. you know, that's another good thing that you learn. And all of these people all were readers themselves. Like they all tell me, oh, I read a lot of books and magazines all the time. And you find that when you do surveys that most CEOs, uh, almost like 90% read a book a month. Yeah. I should be a genius for reading 52 books a year, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not that. 
But I do walk away with thinking to myself, gosh, um, I'm humbled on a weekly basis based on the kind of people I'm interviewing. And all my authors, not we don't do self-published books. We do strictly books that have been vetted by major publishers. And that's our deal even with the publishers is that that's the kind of folks that we'll have on. But mm -hmm. very forward-thinking stuff. And the other thing you kind of learn is the reason Harvard and Wharton and those elite schools are elite is because their professors, unlike other schools, actually still work in the business world. What they're teaching is real-world concepts. And, and, and they're even themselves investing in startups. So, you know, they're not giving you something that's 10, 20 years old and out of date. These guys are mm -hmm. on the front line doing. And I think that's uh, important both for us uh, in the business world, but certainly for our competitive position as a country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a great point. Cool. I just that that just has to be quite an experience doing that podcast every week. I just I'm telling you, you know, the stuff that you learn and stuff that gets reinforced with you as well, because sometimes you're hearing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's accurate because these really, really smart people are talking about it. And, you know, I've had a lot of entrepreneurs on. And the one thing all of them said is nothing goes according to the plan. You know, 50% of your plan is wrong. You just don't know which 50%. And yeah. you'll be willing to go and, you know, be able to make a move and change your uh, course, course correct or else the ship's going to go under. And yeah. so that's one thing that they all say is, that's not the business I meant to start out with. And all of a sudden, I got driven in a different direction. And now this is uh, what's happened. Yeah. And they all believe in you've got to be taking care of people up and down that you just can't accumulate all the wealth for yourself, mm -hmm. that everybody from the janitor up, everybody counts. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best leaders know that. And you can tell it in a business when people do that because you're not going to walk in. I mean, you can just feel it. And I, I'm not going to give give it the, the grace and 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 right words, but you can tell when you when you walk into a business and everyone is being treated well and valued. And you really, you know, can. one of the things that that is interesting talking to leaders, all of them say, I, the biggest mistake I made was I didn't fire people quick enough. And I say to them, that is not the mistake, uh, because the fact that you give people a lot of leeway to make mistakes allows you to attract and retain the best talent. If you are firing people quickly for the fact they made a mistake, then the smartest people would stay away because they know that they're walking on eggshells. Yeah. And I literally, I mean, gosh, I've interviewed, oh, well, on my show, I've interviewed 121 authors. But I've been interviewing CEOs for the past 40 years, and every single one of them says yeah. uh, the same thing, because I write a national comp for American City Business Journal, and I wrote for Forbes, and uh, for The Street, I wrote for Jim Cramer uh, for a couple of years, and every CEO says the same thing. I mean, successful CEOs. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, I feel bad because I missed about 400% of what you've actually done because you're sitting here writing for Forbes and, and 
multiple books, but man, it's just, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. And, and when we were talking before, you started talking about the work that you do with family businesses and you talked, talked about transitioning leadership and some of the things that you see. And I just thought it, it'd be really interesting for us to get your perspective because you're not doing this with one, two, three, you're doing this with a lot of family businesses. And, and there are people out here that are listening that could be in this family business setting. They're in there where the founder or even the second generation, third generation, they're, they're going to go through a transition of leadership or, or they've got to do some sort of leadership transition, not necessarily generational, but just a leadership transition. But what are some of the things that you've seen when you walk into these family businesses that are common, I guess, when you're? Well, one of the common aspects of uh, a lot of the family businesses, here's a few of them. One is the parents who are running the business, and it could be first, second, third generation, they all think that their kids want to get rid of them. That is the biggest misnomer. Not a single child has ever wanted to get rid of the parents. What they want is more um, control over what they're doing, and they want more input in the decisions, but they definitely don't want the parents out. I have to tell the parents every time, no, the last thing they want is you leaving because you have all the institutional knowledge. They need to know why did you pick the accountant, the banker, the lawyer that you chose? Why did you choose this vendor, even though he costs more? Why did you do this, all these things? And then once they do take over, they need somebody to talk to because they can't talk to the other employees because the employees are trying to uh, are counting on them to make the decisions. So it's a lonely job. The other thing is, is that a lot of people think that if a man had been running the business for three generations, a man should continue to run the business. They just think that's just the way it is. And then when you go in and tell them your daughter is infinitely more capable because your son slept with the bookkeeper and and even though he's a smart guy came drunk a couple times to events but the daughter has the respect of everybody i know you didn't uh, plan on her taking over but she's the right one to go and do it or there's a father uh, two sons in a business and the daughter-in-law is really the most capable ceo but the parent is worried that what if they get a divorce now what happens to my business and so you see all kinds of different situations uh, with these companies or one where I came across where the nephew was ripping off the aunts and uncles and to lower the value of the business. So when he bought it from him, he could borrow it at a cheaper price. Wow. Wow. So you get, <laughs> this is like we were talking before. I knew I had to have you on because you've seen some doozy situations. That's for sure. You know, oh, yeah. the, from the from the simple ones and this is one that i think is really relevant is there becomes a point a if you have a child that is qualified and we'll talk about that in, the, in a moment too but and and it is that time for transition what are some of the things that that you really i mean it takes a lot of coaching to figure this out doesn't it well, it does take a lot. It does take some coaching. I just work with a family who has a big consumer product company. It's almost 150 years old. And then 
it's two siblings supposed to take it over. One sibling's very smart, capable, rising through the ranks. The other one doesn't really want to put the effort in. I had to tell the parents two things. I tell all parents, sell the business to your kids. Do not just hand it over to them because you're going to need the money possibly to even bail them out if things go bad. Um, mm -hmm. But two is if one child's really not working and how's it fair to the child who is working in it and find out that um, over 20 years that they've doubled the size of the business, but their equity is still worth the same because the other child did. That happened to my cousin. His brother was a doctor. He worked in the family business 30 years. But my uncle, my great uncle, decided that he felt he should give each of them 50% of the equity. He was trying to do the right thing, but it was the totally wrong thing to do. And yeah. I have a client that I said to the parents, one daughter's a nurse. One daughter's been working in the business for 10 years. The nurse doesn't deserve to get any of the upside. So let the other daughter buy you out. And if you want to give the other daughter some of the money from the buyout, then that's what you should do. That's, that's boy, right there. So <laughs> you just rattled through three situations that were, that were so good. Um, a first thing, sell the business to the kids because you need to take that money out. Even if you don't need it to live, you want to have that money in case something happens to the business down the road. I think that is such tremendous advice right there because you never know what's going to happen. You, the best made plans, your, your kids may not be able to succeed. The market may change. There's all kinds of things, but, um, doing that, selling that business to the kids rather than just giving it to them. Tell a little more about that. I mean, when you, when you sell a business, is it usually just like they just pay a little bit over, you know, pay some over time out of the cash flow of the business, or do they actually go out and get loans and do it usually? They go get they? loans. The, bit, yeah. the thing to do is get the bank that you've been uh, doing business with and get them to uh, be willing to loan as much as the business could bear. You know, we yeah. don't want it over leveraged. Yeah. Uh, and then take a note on the rest. One thing the parents do almost in every business is they separate the business from the real estate. So they have a separate corporation that yep. owns the building and then they rent the building to the business. So it gives them a set steady stream of income and it doesn't put the building at risk. And I always thought yeah. that was very smart. Yeah, that is that is great advice. So go out to the bank, get a loan for what the business can bear and then take a note for the rest. I think that's that's a wise advice because you want to leverage your money as you utilize the banks as you can and and still get the total amount because taking that that money out for a rainy day is is uh it, it could prove one of the best moves you ever made i tell the parents you can stay on in a small consulting contract so you could be there to answer questions uh for them which i think is going to be incredibly uh valuable to the kids and the other thing i tell the parents is is that the kids should work their way up from the bottom up you know, they should start by collect by being janitors in the business and they should always report to somebody else. Never report to the parents. It's a big mistake when you have them report to the parents. And it's a, even a bigger mistake starting them high up in the organization. You own a hotel, let them be in the uh, with the janitors and the maids doing that work first. So they learn and see and appreciate what that is. And so people can respect them. One thing that you're always trying to do for your kids is make sure that all the employees respect them. And I tell the kids when they're taking over the business, 
the employees don't work for you, you work for them. You've got 30, 50, in one case it was 300 families, depending on you making smart decisions. So that goes even for the parents picking the right child to go and run the business. And if the children aren't right, then either sell the business or find an outsider to come in. But you owe it to everybody who's trusting you, which is not just the employees, but your vendors and your customers. All three of them are hoping you're making smart decisions because they've become reliant on you. People paying their mortgages, their kids' college, their retirement, everything. So you've yeah. got to think of this is not the days of 30, 40, 50 years ago when there were kings, right? You owned the business, you were the king or the queen. Now, of course, you've got competition from everywhere. So your employees don't need you anymore. That's They're not tied to the local community and you're the only option or one of the few options. Now they mm -hmm. can go and work from anywhere and work for anybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and again, as we're sitting here talking, I'm feverishly taking notes because you're just spilling tons of great information here. First of all, um, having the children work from the bottom up. I think this is, is one of the things that is really important. And, and uh, because they get exposed to all the different levels of the business they may not have if they say went to college and started off at a at a higher level position so go ahead go ahead yeah no i i just uh, nope i think the same thing that they have to start out in fact one family they have designated parking spaces and they told the kids you have to park in the farthest part away from those spaces you're about four or five years away from earning that spot. <laughs> I love it. And it's it's super smart uh, to go and do that. The kids, one kid started parking like where, you know, the, the executives parked. And one of the employees said, really? I mean, you haven't been here that long. You kind of haven't earned your right to go and park in that space. And they were like taken aback that an employee would talk to him like that. But that's how the father raised the employees in the business to speak their mind. And he said, I, I need you to keep my kids in line. When they're wrong, you need to tell them uh, that they're wrong. And one of the families I work with, uh, two siblings, and the one sibling said to the other, listen, I need you to work as hard as I am because I need you as my partner here. And if you do not, uh, if you do not put that effort in, uh, we're in trouble because I can't expect the employees to tell me I'm wrong. You know, the last thing anybody, every employee, it takes a long time for employees to trust the CEO that they can tell them when they're wrong because they're always afraid of, what if I get fired? Even though there's options out there, I don't want that. I, I like waking up every morning knowing where I'm going. People like routines. Yeah. So it's yeah. really uh, critical uh, for that. But I always tell the kids, you have a big responsibility uh, to that. And one of the other things I do with parents is, is that I tell them, let's put together a contract about who's responsible for what and how things will flow. So I did have a parent that I worked with for two years and, and I became very good friends with him. He refused to sign the contract. And I said to him, what are you afraid of? Well, I don't want them to tell me what to do. You own 100% of the stock. They don't own any of the stock. They can't tell you what to do, but you're going to saddle them with $3 million of debt. They have a right to know what they're signing up for here. 
They have a right to know why you made this decision and have a right to question your decision. So it's not fair to them that you, they don't get a say in what you're doing. Let's just say I'm not very popular after a while. It's like the guest who stays too long. Yeah, but I mean, you're giving, I I just giggle when I I talk with you, Mark, because you're telling people what they need to know. I mean, you're telling them what they should really need to think about, the tough decisions. When, when, when you, you know, when you, back to what you were talking about before, when you, when you had the instance of the two, two siblings, one works in the business and one doesn't, but you give them both the same amount of equity in the business. It's like that, that is. Yes. And as a parent, you go, oh, I want to treat all my kids fairly. Right. right. I'm going to treat them equal. I'm going to give them equal amounts of money. But if if you're the kid that's in the business and you got 50 percent of the business and the other kid is off doing whatever they want to do in their job someplace else and you've quintupled the value of the business because you busted your butt, they get that upside. Like you said, it's just it's not fair. It's not fair at all. I had a friend who. Uh, did that. And he was not upset. You had two sisters. They got 50% of the company that he grew, grew from 1.2 million to 500 million. Oh my goodness. And his attitude was, I didn't come up with this product. My dad did. And um, so much money that, okay, there's so much to split. What difference does it make? Yeah. And so some people wouldn't have that attitude. And his sisters were really lucky he was that generous of a guy uh, to go and do it because a lot of people would have said, are you kidding me? I mean, I built a $500 million business and I'm getting 250 million, still a lot of money, but I didn't get the full 500 million minus the taxes and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So they were very fortunate and they did not step a day in that business. They weren't, they didn't work in it at all. He did everything. Including, yeah. by the way, that product meant nothing. He came upon something else that was uh, kind of related to the product. And that's what took off. So the product actually wasn't what made them rich. Oh, my goodness. That is that is an extreme example of why you should not split the equity fairly among your amongst your children if they're not all working in a business at the same levels. That's for sure. So when you said another thing too is and i think this is really really important is don't have your kids report to you as a parent in the business yeah it's a big mistake uh, because you already have so much baggage from raising them they know you know they know how to push your buttons yes how to push their buttons and, and one thing that every parent is afraid of is upsetting today's children and having them walk away from them and never seeing them. I even had a child weaponize his own kids against his mom by telling her, you'll never see your grandchildren. And she's calling me at 1130 at night in tears. And I had to call him right after I got off the phone with her and said, you've got to now, right now, Get out of your bed. Go apologize to your mom. You can never weaponize your own children against yeah. your mom. You don't have to work there. But at the end of the day, that every parent is biggest nightmare is losing their kids. And so yeah. it's very hard for parents to go and do it. I, I, I saw it numerous times. I had one where we 
the father had to tell the son, you're not going to be the CEO. And we told the mom, who was also supportive of him being the CEO and had always been protecting him. And that caused for the father to end up in the guest room for three months. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh. And so, you, you know, you, you have these hard conversations uh, that you have to have with people. Again, I've always put in the context of you've got responsibilities to a lot of different people here. And you have to yeah. think of them uh, first. And of course, we want to see your kids. So every time when I work with these families, I tell the kids up front, we want to ma maximize your potential. We want you to enjoy the job. And if you don't enjoy the job, then you shouldn't be doing the job. And and you should maybe you shouldn't even be in the business. And your parents, today's parents, want the kids to be happy. So unlike, you know, when we grew up in the, and if you had that family yeah. business, there was this expectation you would yeah. join in, shut your mouth and do your job for the next generation. Not anymore. The parents are just as glad, even this big consumer product company. Father said, you don't want to do it? I sell it to the private equity guys. You'll get your pro rata share and, and that's it. You tell me what you want to do. Again, no forced uh, labor here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and and that that whole thing about not reporting to parents, uh, man, you just brought up the whole side of it that I was, was you know, I was thinking about how it looks to the other employees, but the whole internal family strife that it would happen, and and when you said too about the kids know how to push your buttons, you know how to push them, the whole emotional thing could get, I mean, because if you let's be honest, if you got a kid that pushes your buttons well it could really backfire in a work setting where you're getting angry and, and people that work around you never have made, may never have seen you even your blood pressure go up one bit, but your kid just pushes the right button and go, <laughs> go off, you know, or well, something. Often in family businesses, the employees have grown up watching the kid. And so a, a lot of parents, and I think this is also smart and I encourage us, have your child work for somebody else for three to five years, then bring them back. Do not yeah. take them directly yeah. from college and have them work for you. And so some parents feel like they don't want them to develop bad habits by working for somebody else. But I disagree with that. I think learning to be nobody for somebody else is the best thing. Strawbridge and Clothier for generations had their kids work for Macy's and other department stores so they had to start from ground zero. They were nobodies in that. Mm -hmm. They weren't royalty. Like, you know, when you're a Strawbridge or you're the Macy, you know, you're a uh, gimbal, yep. you were the royalty. But now it's yep. better off that they don't start out as royalty and know what it's like to be like anybody else. Yeah, I think that that is sage advice right there because understanding what it's like to be one of the people that punches the clock, walks through the door every day like everyone else is, is valuable valuable experience for those those children coming into those businesses yeah so um yeah it's so good so good because you brought up about, uh, about the kids and the way they could push your buttons that just gets me that's funny uh not funny because it's such a challenge but when when you've gone into these places i mean how many times out of say out of 10 businesses do you run into it where the the kids aren't interested or at the other case think they want to be in the business but they shouldn't be couldn't be ever running the business oh that happens quite a bit 
uh, where they shouldn't be. And you're telling the parent, you know what? Um, they like the money and they like the prestige, but they're really not cut out for this. They're not willing to put the effort in. You know, I had one where I gave them great jobs and it's a great company and they didn't follow through on any of it. And I said, that's not right. You know, and I sat down with them. I said, I started you out with stuff that would get you noticed in the company and everything. And you didn't do any of this stuff. You're clearly not wanting to do it, but you like the paycheck and, yeah. and that's what you're interested in. And again, that's not fair to anybody else, especially the employees and your own family members. Either you've got to do what needs doing to succeed there, or you got to go. And that's a tough, tough thing because the parents, uh, I'm always the bad guy. I tell the parents, no problem. I'll take that on. I'll sit down, tell the kid this. And then you can say, you know what, Mark is out of control. We're going to have to do something about that as they're winking at me. Thank God you told him that. Yeah. I always get thanked by the parents. They always like, you know, there's always one child that I come down hard on after trying every conceivable way to get them to do the job that they're supposed to be doing and maximize their potential. And then Mm -hmm. it becomes, okay, I've tried all the carrots. Now I'm not bringing a stick. I'm bringing a club. I'm going to beat you over the head with this club because it's that important to you and to the people around you. Yeah. And like you said, there's responsibilities. It's much bigger than the child or the parents. Yeah. I mean, they don't even realize until I start uh, diagramming for them. Oh, the bank that loans you money, that's a community bank. They go under your whole community suffers. Your employees, you screw up. Now they can't make their mortgage payments and Mm -hmm. their kids college and their retirement is wiped out. Those vendors that are counting you to pay their own employees and you're not able to pay because you screwed up and didn't do what you were supposed to do. You know, and I go through everybody that's connected with them. They didn't realize there's a lot of people. It's stressful now. Now they're under stress, right? Because they're thinking, Jesus, I, I got to be thinking about all this stuff. Yeah. I said, that's right. And don't take it on if you can't. Yeah. And it's, and it is, it's, it's, it's your, your, you're acclimating them to what they really are committing to if, if they want to go down that path. So, and I think it's, I think it's valuable. I think it's something you got to do. You get, it seems like your video is cutting out a little bit there. Yeah, it's weird. Let's see. Oh, there we go. It came back. Now we're good. So the, um, what have you, and I've, I've heard about this. So how many times have you run into it where, where parents just say, you know what, Damon, it's better off if you're just not in the business, but we're going to pay you to stay home. That happens occasionally um, with families because, and I understand it in the sense of you're afraid the child will drown. Yeah. And some people say, let them drown. But no, because it could go bad. And and as a parent, it's really hard to go and do that, especially if you know the child is troubled or there's yeah. issues involved. And And that's a good time to bring an outside professional. And I don't mean, you know, like I my master's is in management. So I'm kind of like a quasi psychologist. In fact, a lot of psychology goes into yeah. it, but I tell them time to bring in a therapist here to work with them because we don't want to see the child killing themselves 
yeah. uh, or doing some harm to somebody else, you know, yeah. and especially themselves. So we need to take that seriously and maybe get them help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a great, and I'm glad I asked because I know it happens when people are not, uh, it just doesn't, doesn't work out for whatever reason, but, um, you don't want to leave them, uh, you know, onto their own or whatever that might be. So the last situation that I was wondering about, do you run into it when the businesses are so successful that the current generation just goes, you know what, even if my kids were capable of doing this, we really should hire outside outside people because this is bigger than any of us really ever intended. Yeah. Uh, um, the bigger the business becomes, the more they realize maybe the kids don't have the skill set or they need to bring somebody in to teach the kids. I'm actually working with a real estate uh, company has properties all over the country. They, there are two founders, two different families. Each has a child. Each is the child's college educated. Um, both of them are lawyers, actually. And yeah. so they're not ready. They're not primetime ready. So they're looking for a CEO that could run the business, but train the kids to run it. And I tell them, have a five to 10 year horizon on this. Tell yeah. the kids here is the written plan. Here's how we're going to rotate you through. Here's what we're going to teach you. Now, mind you, at the end of the day, we still might not think you're the right person. So I just want you to know that up front. I don't want you to be under any misconceptions that you're going to get the reins to this business. If the CEO tells us that you haven't been growing in it and you're not doing the right things to succeed and we've tried everything, you're probably going to be out. And yeah. when we do sell the business, you'll get some uh, some some money, uh, but you have to start thinking about doing something else. So we'll do everything we can to make you succeed because there's no reason why we wouldn't. But this is what's going to happen. Yeah, because I think that that was one of the situation I was thinking about, because, man, if you you got a 10 million dollar company, 100 million dollar company, even maybe a 500 million dollar company is one thing. But if you get something that goes in really big and gets a you know billion dollar company uh, plus, it's just a monster that that gets to a point that you really wonder, do I even want my kids to undertake this, first of all? Yeah, there was a company I didn't work with them, but it's a sizable company and has a hundred family shareholders. Well, I, I tell you one wow. company that I'm very impressed with, and it's the her snack food company, and it's um, actually just the second generation. I met Jim Her, who founded the company. Oh wow! And uh, and they're like a billion dollar company, and they have a very regimented training program. For all of them, they have an outside person who provides education and sees where people are falling short and what they need to do to uh, be better. And there's no guarantee that you could end up working in the in the plant. And that might be your whole career is working in the plant. You yeah. might be director of marketing, you might not ever get higher than director of marketing. Again, wow. they realize uh, and one of the things they do have is a no drama rule. So we're not going to put up with any drama. You know, when you're told this is what it is, it is. And if you're um, going to start a problem, we have too many people relying on us. You got to go. <laughs> I like the no drama rule. Yeah. Especially 
Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be very valuable. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and it's what you what you bring up is the real the, the need to think about this and really plan for how am I going to prepare my children if they're interested for success here. And it's it's not just lead them to the wolves when they get to a certain age. It could be that there there's a, a mentor that you hire alongside of them to get them ready to to really take the take the reins or do what they're going to do. I tell them you have to be very objective with your kids uh, and take a look at their skills. Uh, be honest with yourself about it and be honest for them, because just like employees, when somebody fails, uh, everybody fails. And so yeah. you have to take a look at it and say, you know what? We put you in the wrong position or we didn't train you right. You know, we have we take some of the responsibility. It's not all on you unless you weren't giving the effort. So if everybody's doing everything to help you succeed and you're showing up late to work and leaving early, you got to go. You know, yeah. but if you're doing everything you can to succeed, it could be the position's wrong for you. It could be that. Uh, the business is wrong. It could be that we haven't trained you right, but there's a lot of different thing variables, and we have to take a look at all of those and then make a, a hard decision. And we tell you, you know, communication, you can't over-communicate that enough with yeah. everybody, especially family members. Got to constantly be telling them. I mean, people have their in, uh, son-in-laws come into the business, and let's say there's a divorce. Now what? Or maybe the son-in-law thinks he can coast or the daughter-in-law thinks they can coast. Right up front, you have to tell them verbally and in writing and have them sign. Here's what the expectation. I tell the parents, videotape this whole thing so nobody can deny here's what was told. Yeah. Make sure that there's everything is, there's no ambiguity, everything's crystal clear. Yeah, I just love hearing you talk, Mark, because you are laying out the things that, I mean, could really help these family business owners just mitigate so many future problems, so many future problems uh, that I, I just love, I just love hearing it. And, and your real world experience is what uh, is, is so refreshing because you've worked in the different situations where you've seen this. Um, but the the last thing that i was thinking about is how many times do you see when uh, there's going to be a leadership transition and say i'm the dad and i'm running the business and i'm going to transition over to the next generation but those my kids are really good technical people in the business they're not the business people so we're going to hire a, a ceo and set up a board or whatever we're going to do that's going to run the business and my kid is going to be, my daughter is going to be the head of engineering or she's going to be the whatever. And then that's kind of how the business moves on past to the next generation. Yeah, I, you know, I saw that in a business where the one child was really had skills in developing product and should be nowhere near the strategic side of running yeah. the business or didn't have the people skills to go and run the business. And you tell them up front, here's what it is. And not everybody's going to like to hear that or they want their shot at it. And what I tell the parents to do is put them in a small team and see what they can do. Let them take bite-sized uh, chunks as opposed to the whole eating the whole pizza in one gulp. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
and get them to see what that is and have the employees that work with them give them real feedback all along the way about how they can keep improving themselves and being able to do it and make sure you surround them with people who will be honest with them not in fear of losing their job and aren't being honest with them remind the employees hey you all have a stake in growing this child into the leader and if the child is not right for it we all need to know that because we're all in this together i mean we don't want our own equity zeroed out we don't want you to worry about having to get another job so i say you always have the honest uh conversation with the employees as well uh, to let them know what their role is in growing the kids yeah that's incredible advice right there. i i had a a, a a son called me up and said if you don't get involved with this i'll kill her and was his mom and i he said i'm really because she doesn't really you know she doesn't respect me and so i got in and i developed a process for each of them to share information so the son wanted to buy a building and because they were working out of the mom's house and i said oh. how often do you actually people come to your office almost never i said and so i said so how are you going to justify it so let me show you how to propose something to your mom then i told the mom you can't shoot him down while the proposal is going on you need to say to him let me think about it and let's meet next week you need to say to your mom all i want you to do is digest this and if you say no it's okay to say no but then i'd like to get feedback on why you said no so i can learn from this so i said you shouldn't be this you've got this great business and they did great business you're making a lot of money and things are going super well enjoy the ride one thing i do find is when things are not going well they all manage to pull uh the uh the carts around you know like they circle of hearts the wagons yeah they circle the wagons they're really willing to support each other like if things are bad then they're not at each other's throat you would think the opposite like if things are going well yeah everything is hunky-dory but it's not the case every every time i turn around i'd be like oh my god the business is killing it and yet you people can't get along how's that possible anybody would die to have this business so i tell the kids you've got to, your parents are afraid of failure they're afraid of you failing they're afraid of risking uh, for the employees all kinds of fear and as they get older they become more fearful because yeah. they know how bad things can go and they're also looking at the end of their career and not wanting to take those risks so you need to walk them through things and show them that you've thought everything out that you've talked to other people that you've you know got this down yeah. and you can even say let me start small here just to show you what this could be mm -hmm. ah great advice great advice so we're we're getting to about to time here mark but i do want to talk about the angel venture fair so tell us what's going on there and what you're doing with the so angel the venture angel fair. venture fair and it's in its 25th year and we bring together entrepreneurs and angels uh who are looking to raise capital and so they can come from any space except for real estate and retail so any kind of business as long as it's a scalable model that could probably grow to 25 to 50 million dollars in five years because the investors need to know there's an exit to get out mm -hmm. of their investment 
unless it throws off so much cash that you can pay them a great dividend for being equity holders in this business. But they're essentially looking for a lottery ticket that can close their eyes and take a big swing of the bat and have a home run. That's what they're looking for at the end of the day. So um, most angel investors are themselves entrepreneurs who've made a lot of money, who understand operations, how to grow a business. Some are some come from all walks of life. I mean, we have investors who are lawyers, insurance brokers, accountants. And, you know, when the entrepreneurs meet them, they think, oh, my God, that's another service provider. But no, these people have a ton of experience yeah. in helping early stage companies. And in our case, we have angel investors, family offices, um, venture capitalists and corporate VCs all who come to our event, which is at the Union League in Philadelphia. And we're taking applications right now um, through the month of August. Okay. And you can and go to angelventurefair.com. That's angelventurefair.com. And right on the homepage is you click on the link and you're able to uh, uh, apply uh, to um, be considered. All right. Well, if you're, if you're in one of those angel venture or startup companies looking for angel investment this is a great uh opportunity for you to get considered and again it's uh mark's uh involved with this it's called the angel you can get there and and uh get signed up and be considered for it so this is great i mean because the, the this is where a lot of these family businesses you know they were startups they they everyone's a startup yeah and uh, it's a wonderful thing in the United States that we can have uh, so many startups and such a vibrant startup community. And, and some of these businesses, you just I'm sure being in this, you just go, you just go, I would have never thought of that. But it's a great idea. Well, that's America's competitive advantage. I mean, why it's important that we make sure that we don't lock the front door so nobody can get in. Uh, is because all the great entrepreneurs have come from outside the country. You know, they they see the great opportunity. You know, I, I kind of laugh. There's no lineup trying to get into Russia. There's nobody yeah. trying to cross the Russian border and say, man, would I love to go live in Russia? That's a great country. <laughs> no, everybody wants to come into America, no matter yeah. how crazy our politics is, they're still lined up to get into this nightclub. Because they yeah. know this is the hottest party on the planet. Yeah. yeah Can you name true. another country in the world with the exception of Israel that people are like, man, I got to get into that country. I don't think you can name another country. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I, you know, it's as crazy, as screwed up as we are. We do a lot of good things very well. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and being entrepreneurial and a meritocracy where it's not about who your family is. It's about who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I just want to thank you for being here today, Mark. Again, we had Mark Kramer talking about family business, succession and legacy. And if you're just joining us later in here, go back to the beginning. Listen to this, because if you got a family business and you were thinking about succeeding this to children or, you, or really creating the legacy you want, he dropped so many good tips in here. Thank you so much for being here today, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. It was just, it was a pleasure. So everyone have a great rest of your week and have a wonderful weekend. And we will back, be back again next week on the Faces of Business. Mark, hang out with me for just a second and we'll talk for a moment. Thanks everyone. Thank you very much again.